Well, we've got a few things going on uh, as we get started um, in the, uh, as we're getting ready for October. Um, we have uh, youth group is meeting for the first time since um, May, June, June, June-ish, other than going, going water sliding. Um, <clears throat> and so youth group is meeting today uh, at 3.30, uh, 3.30, uh, down down in the youth youth wing. Um, if you have a teenager that wants to be a part of it and haven't been a part of it yet, Tom Hathcote is right there. Um, he's tough to miss. He's the one who travels with a, a posse. Um, so, uh, but uh, so we're we've got youth group going. Ladies ministry started uh, last weekend. Uh, we do have uh, on the calendar. Um, we're planning for. Is it? It's not this Saturday. The following Saturday, right, Mike? The fourth the 10th, right? So October the 10th, uh, we're planning to have a, a men's um, meal slash work day. We've got some stuff going, so we'll get some uh, details out to everybody on the email list of what's going on. We promise to feed you. Um, where you'll sit, how close you'll be to the other people, that's all. We're still working out the details of all of that. Um, hopefully it'll be nice outside and we won't have to eat in shifts. Um, but uh, so we've got some things that need to be done and we're going to, so we're going to get things rolling there. Um, and, uh, I mean, other than that, it's, it's, uh, pretty much things are going as usual. Our Bible studies all except for one, um, that slacker teacher, um, which is me, um, hasn't started yet. Um, but all the other Bible studies are running. We've got Tuesday night and Wednesday night. Um, we have Bible studies here and then Wednesday, there's also the Wednesday study. Are you guys going to be here? Or you're going to be at your house, all right? So, um, if you're interested, if you live uh, north of the the Manchester Bedford line and you want to be um, in the, the group at Greg Jones's house, um, they are doing the Minor Prophets. Uh, the Tuesday night group is doing the Book of Acts. Here, the Wednesday night group is in the Book of Exodus. Um, so, uh, so there's all kinds of different things going on. If you'd like information about the Tuesday group, Ray, Ray is in the back there. Um, he's, he's the uh, facilitator, and Mike Trask is, is teaching through. So, um, so we've got a lot of stuff going on. Uh, the Wednesday night group leader, Bob, the other Wednesday night group leader, isn't here. Um, but, um, so that's what's going on with Bible studies. I think that's pretty much it. Um, for what's happening. Um, if, you're, if you're visiting with us, uh, normally, if we were not in a pandemic, um, there would be a little card you could fill out and drop it, out, drop it in the uh, offering basket when it, play, when it passed. We don't do, we're not doing the offering during the service. Um, so, uh, so if you would like us to, if you'd like to get in touch with us or give us your contact information so we can say thank you for being with us, you can grab uh, that envelope that's in the, the seat in front of you. Uh, just fill out the information and drop it in the offering box in the back, and it will get to um, the appropriate people to reach out to you in the next week or two um, and just say thank you for being with us. Um, we are in the midst of uh, we're in the midst of an interesting situation. So if you look around, you will notice um, that pretty much every row, um, in the building right now in the sanctuary has people sitting in it. We're doing our best to maintain social distancing, um, but this is as many seats as we can put in right now under the governor's uh, guidelines. 
Um, and uh, we're only allowed to do 50% capacity. Um, we had toyed with putting plexiglass in front of everybody's seats so we could get to 100% like the restaurants, but we decided that might be a little hard to discipline your kids if they're sitting in front of you. So um, so we are at 50%. So when we, as, as crazy as it sounds, uh, when we reach 50% capacity right now, according to the guidelines, uh, we have to overflow to another building. We can't just keep adding chairs. Um, so uh, another room. So we do have a room set up downstairs, and I want to let you know, remind this, if you, if you show up late and all the rows are taken and you're not comfortable sitting um, in a row with somebody else, and it really is up to you, um, there, there's a, a TV set up downstairs with, with the YouTube stream ready to run so you can watch it downstairs in the fellowship hall. Um, and there are chairs there. You can configure them however you want. Um, and, uh, and so there's a, there is an additional space so that we are, uh, we are able to abide by uh, the, the guidelines that are presented. And people have asked, what about, you know, is it really necessary? You know, of course, there's a big thing going on with, with um, churches and state rules. And New Hampshire's rules are actually pretty relaxed um, if you compare them to California and some of the other states. Um, as long as, as long as we're not being asked to violate the gospel, we're going to follow the guidelines. Uh, so as, as tough as it is for us to do, um, I know, you know, for example, uh, people sometimes are like, can we, bring, can we bring snacks in before service so everybody can share? And unfortunately, the answer to that is no, not right now. You can't. Um, we, we don't do communion from a communal chair, from a communal ta- uh, uh, rack that we, we would rack. What's the word? Tray. Um, it's a good thing I talk for a living. Uh, and uh, and we, so we have to take the elements individually. We're using those prepackaged things, which are uh, an abomination to the Lord. But, um, but otherwise, but they, are, they, they meet the standard um, of the expectation. Um, uh, so, so I just go ahead and dub them with the biblical, uh, the biblical term manna, uh, which is the Hebrew word for what is this, and uh, and we just we just roll along. So we're hoping that in the next couple of weeks, um, some of the restrictions will be loosened a little bit. We'll be able to add some more seats, but we're gonna we're just gonna go ahead and follow the restrictions as we can for right now. So with all of that said, we're going we're gonna to get into the scriptures, um, and uh, we are going to continue our series on the topic of rest. And, um, and we're going to be, today we're actually going to be in the book of Matthew, chapter 12, but we're going to be considering, for the next few weeks, we're going to be considering what Jesus' attitude toward the Sabbath and toward rest uh, was. Uh, because Jesus is the head of the church, um, because he is Savior and Lord, um, his attitude and his behavior guide our understanding of everything else that might be going on in a particular topic. Um, you know, and so when we consider the subject of the Sabbath and we consider the subject of rest, um, we have to consider it from the perspective of what did Jesus have to say about this. Now, one of the difficulties about doing that is that often... Uh, Jesus' words in the Gospels are recorded in different situations. Now, that shouldn't be terribly surprising. Um, we, we tend to look at a, a book like the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we think of them in modern terms of a book, that this is a book that um, was, was, you know, people were sitting there pouring over, uh, pouring over note cards to make sure that all their sources were cited correctly. 
Um, a gospel is a very unique kind of literature. It is a uniquely Christian approach to presenting a narrative. Um, there are a lot of a lot of scholars who who um, who try to take passages from the Roman emperors and they say, well, the Roman emperors, they used the gospel style. But this is actually really very much a Christian approach to telling a story. And one of the things that happens in the gospels is because they're eyewitness accounts, because they're recorded by people that were there, they record things that look like they may be in different Situations like, did Jesus do this here or did he do it here? Because Matthew says this, but Mark says that. Remember that if you take all of the events of all four of the Gospels in the Bible and you put them together, they add up to less than two months of activity out of what we know Jesus spent at least three years doing. So that means that just because a similar thing happens, it doesn't mean that was the only time that Jesus told that scenario or that situation happened or that particular context occurred. There appear to be a lot of things that are told um, that Jesus does multiple times. Jesus seems to have delivered the Sermon on the Mount several times in several different ways. So we get at least two versions of that. Um, he feeds 5,000 people. He feeds 4,000 people. Now, both are pretty impressive, um, but he, they are separate events. His disciple, he and his disciples are constantly crossing the Sea of Galilee. And people are like, well, he does this on this crossing, and he does that on that crossing. The Sea of Galilee, that's like crossing the Merrimack River here. All right? they're, they're always going back and forth across that river. So, so there are different events occurring. Jesus goes to the temple, and people say, well, he went to the temple in the beginning of his career, and he went to the temple at the end of his career. He went to the temple all the time. All right, so, so there's lots of things that you've got to be careful about saying, well, this is exactly right. But there are a couple things in the Gospels that are most definitely the only time that something happens, and they are reported sometimes in different ways for different reasons in different Gospels. And this is one of the things that we're going to be dealing with. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 12, in Mark chapter 2, and Luke chapter 6... Um, record the same event with Jesus and his disciples, uh, but there's a little bit of difference in the context of where it occurs. And Matthew has a very unique um, context of what's happening that sets us up for studying on the subject of rest. So we're going to look at Matthew. We're actually going to look at all three uh, real briefly, but we're going to look at Matthew primarily. And so I'm going to invite you to join me in a word of prayer as we get into the scriptures this morning. Father, once again we come to your word, we ask that you would, um, not just that we would sit and read words on pages, but that your, your son, the living word, might become um, more alive to us, mold our hearts and our imaginations to see what he has to say to us, Lord, to hear his voice and to rest in his power, and we pray this in his name. So here's what I want to do. This is how I want to start. Um, there are three parallel passages, and I, I want to kind of parcel them out to people that are willing um, to read them out loud. Uh, the first one is Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. So if somebody is willing to read that and wants to just let me know that they're willing to do that, Tom. All right, so, so Tom's going to read that one. The second one is Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. 
Anyone? Anyone? All right, Mike. All right, and the last one is Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Eric? Okay. So uh, let's start with Mark, and then we're going to read Luke, and then we're going to read Matthew. All right? Um, only because Mark is the shortest one. So um, let's start with Mark, and then Luke, and then Matthew. So Mike, if you could read Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. And I want folks to be listening and following along, and we want to identify differences in these three versions, okay? Yep, go ahead, Mike. Now, Luke chapter 6, verse 1 through 5. So, let's, uh, let's take a minute and look at those three. What are some differences? Do you notice anything different as you go from one to the next? All right, Matthew's more detailed. All right, Matthew talks about guilt and mercy. All right, the priests are mentioned in Matthew, okay, particularly their their activity, which is we're going to talk about. Luke has something that neither Matthew nor Mark have in it. Anyone notice? They rub the grain between their hand in their hands. All right, that that doesn't appear now. That so when you 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 see those differences, and there are plenty more, but that specific one um, is there because Luke is writing to Gentiles, and they would not have known why. The Pharisees protested the, the, the disciples 
eating grain. So he includes the detail that they had to rub the grain between their hands. Well, that's work, which you can't do on the Sabbath. So that, that's, that's why Luke includes that detail. All right? Um, it's, it's a, it's a, uh, he's, ex- he's, he's expanding the explanation. He's ex- explaining why it's such a big deal. Okay? Any other, anybody else notice anything? They are pretty much identical in most details. Um, and and uh, and you can you can go through and you can actually look at the the, the Greek text of it. It's it, they're they're very very close, um, in an awful lot of things. There are a couple little things about Jesus answering instead of saying and things, but the big differences are the ones that we that have already been mentioned. There is, however, in Matthew this curious bit um, that that the Wittenbergs mentioned this curious bit about the priests. Now now in Luke. You know, I mean, in, in, in Luke, we get this thing that he was hungry and he took and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for any of the priests to eat, or it was, it was not lawful for any but the priests to eat. And in Mark, and you know, if we take a look at Mark, you can see that there's a, a little bit of a comment about, um, there's a comment about he ate the presence, but it's not lawful for any but the priests to eat, um, and that the priests gave it to, and he gave it to those who were with him. But in Matthew... You get this whole thing um, beginning in verse 5. Um, <clears throat> he says, Have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. He adds this whole other statement about being guiltless that's not in Mark or Luke. And there's a very good reason why Matthew does that. All right? the, the, when the gospel writers write, they write with intention. Now, they are not writing fiction. I'm just going to give you a disclaimer here. This is not historical fiction. Um, some commentators, they treat the gospels like, well, people just invented stories about Jesus to make him look a particular way. All right. Um, this is, these are specific details added because of the context of a situation. So the event occurs. All right? So let's talk about the event, and then we're going to get into the, the nuance of it. This event occurs that is, is important enough that Matthew, Mark, and Luke all choose to record it. And it is that Jesus is walking through the fields, through the grain fields. Now, they're not actually walking through the grain fields themselves. That, that, would, be, that would be destroying somebody's crops. They're, they're walking on a path between the grain field, and it's on the Sabbath day. Now, they're walking through, and they're hungry. Um, now, I don't know if any of you have ever tried to eat a raw cereal grain, like uh, 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 wheat or barley. These are not ideal foods, Okay, um, they they have to be ground up and made into flour uh, in order for them to really be edible. Um, barley is not a tasty thing. When I was a kid, my parents tried to trick me into eating healthy by putting wheat germ on my cereal. I could tell. All right. So so what you would do if you wanted a, wanted just something to chew on because you were not going to eat for a while. Um, or suck on like a candy because they didn't have rock candies and things like that in those days, you would take some kernels and you would, you would rub off the chafe and you would pop them in your mouth and you would just soak, on, soak them in your mouth. And they would just kind of soak in there and they would soften and you could chew on them and um, wreck your teeth and all kinds of fun stuff. Um, 
And that was, that was kind of a very common thing. It, it was almost as common as chewing bubble gum is today. There was just something you did just to get through the day. You kind of had that, that food flavor kind of rolling around. Now, I, I can see some of you going, I cannot imagine that as a treat. Um, and, and I would remind you that our taste buds are all guided by the existence of refined sugar. All right, so back in the day, before there was more sugar and salt in our food than we really need in an entire year um, in a specific meal, people were more acclimated to eating stuff like this. So, um, so they're, they're, you know, they're walking along. Jesus is probably talking. It's the Sabbath day, or maybe they're, it, they're finished with a synagogue service or something, and they know they're not going to be able to eat until sundown, and some of the disciples are hungry. It was probably Peter because he's impulsive, and he just grabs some grain and rubs it in his hand, pops it in his mouth, and says, this will do me to the end of the day. And the Pharisees see this. Now, my question, I, immediately one of the things that pops up in my mind is why are the Pharisees walking on the Sabbath day to start with? Because they have rules about doing this kind of stuff. But they're, but they're walking with Jesus and they immediately say, aha, your disciples are doing what is not lawful, literally what is not allowed to do on the Sabbath day. And what are they doing? They're doing work. They picked grain, so they harvested grain, and then they prepared it, rubbed it in their hands, and then they're chewing. How dare they? Now, again, in my, I always see this in my mind's eye. I generally see two of the disciples anytime a situation like this happens. The first is Peter, who I, I assume goes like this. He goes, and then you and then there's John, who's completely just off on the other side, just chewing on it. He doesn't even know about it. He's just a kid. He's just, just hanging out. The rest of them, I mean, I do kind of picture Judas Iscariot kind of going, like, like he's, no one's seeing me do this. Um, but uh, they, they identify this, and Jesus then launches into this thing about David from 1 Samuel chapter 21. And, and basically, if you don't know the story of this, David was being chased by King Saul. Uh, David had been anointed as the next king. Saul didn't like that idea. And so he was chasing David. He was, gonna, he was planning to kill him. He tries to impale him with a javelin twice. Um, Saul is so indignant with David that he's willing to disown his own son, Jonathan, because he's friends with David. He is just, Saul is blinded by rage. Um, And and David, David is running away and he's trying to escape and he comes to the tabernacle. And there in the tabernacle, there's a table in the, the holy place, not the deepest, the holy of holy places, but, but inside the tabernacle is a table where every year, every day, they, the priests would bake new loaves of bread and they would lay them there. And the King James Bible calls them the, the showbread, S-H-E-W-B-R-E-A-D, um, which show is just a spelling for show. Um, and basically the idea is these were the bread, this was the bread to remind the people of Israel, the priesthood of God's provision during the wilderness, when God provided manna, when God took care of them. Um, and every day, the priests, at the end of the day, they would eat that bread. That was their bread for the day. Um, and they would prepare new loaves for the following day. And, and David shows up at the tabernacle. Um, he asks for two things. He asks for food and he asks for Goliath's sword. Now, that is my favorite moment in David's life when he says, I need a weapon. Can you hand me the sword of the giant so I can carry it? And I'll just side tangent. Here's my sermon. Step out. Talk about David. If David can wield Goliath's sword, guess what that says about David? 
He is a big, strong dude. All right, forget all the little pictures of David and you know the little toga with the little. You know, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, this is a man. This is a man who lobbed off. He, he lobbed off a giant's head. He, first of all, he hurled a rock strong enough to hit the giant in the head and knock him down. He lobs off the giant's head, and then for the rest of his life, seems to carry Goliath's sword as his per- personal weapon. Um, he also, and this is still, I'm holding the sermon right here. Um, he also eventually, Goliath's relatives become his personal bodyguard. David is a scary man. All right, stepping back into the thing. So David goes to the priest and he says, give me the showbread. The priest says, well, you can't have the showbread. David says, give me the showbread. The priest goes, okay, you can have the showbread. And they eat the bread, all right, and eventually Saul will actually have the priest killed for doing that, all right? He he is not happy at all about this, or he threatens to kill him. I can't remember. I think he does actually kill him. Um, Saul killed a lot of people. It's tough to keep track. Um, And so Jesus quotes this, this moment But in Matthew, he expands it and he talks about the priesthood. Was it not law? It's not lawful. Everybody knows it wasn't right for somebody that wasn't a priest to eat the showbread. But then Jesus expands and he says in verse 5, he says, uh, Have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? Now, this is actually an interpretation that eventually becomes one of the the Jewish interpretations of a passage in Numbers um, where it is recorded that the priests were still doing sacrifices on the Sabbath day. Now, slaughtering animals and offering them on fire, would that qualify as work? Yes. Are you allowed to do work on the Sabbath day? No. But the priests are still holy. So what does that mean? It means that the priests have an exemption. They can work on the Sabbath day as long as it is doing what God commanded them to do. Do you see where Jesus is going with this? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. He says the argument about not being able to do work on the Sabbath, you're getting it backwards. You think that you're not allowed to do work on the Sabbath in order to gain God's favor. In order to be obedient, in order to get God to like you, you must follow the law in every detail. But here's this little exception clause which tells us that that is not necessarily true. That resting on the Sabbath, remembering the Sabbath, honoring the Sabbath, does not mean that you just sit around doing nothing. Now, another time, we're going to talk about next week, Jesus will will talk about matters of life and death on the Sabbath day. But right here, he's dealing with this issue of when is it right or wrong. See, the Pharisees saw the disciples' act of gathering that grain and popping it in their mouth as food preparation because the only reason they would ever do anything like that is because they were hungry and they felt like doing it and therefore it must be wrong. It's work and you're doing it on the Sabbath and you shouldn't do it because on the Sabbath day you're supposed to rest. By the way, on the Sabbath day, you're also, according to the Pharisees, also not supposed to get into theological debates. Which is what they're doing. So there's a little bit of a hypocrisy going on. But, ah, they're, they're preparing food. And here's what Jesus sees. 
What Jesus sees is that God providentially put a grain field that was ripe for harvest, for hand harvest, right in the path of his disciples who were hungry. And so God provided for them on the Sabbath day, just as he provided the showbread for David when David was hungry, just as the, 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 uh, the priests have to do what God has called them to do on the Sabbath day, and therefore they are not guiltless. And his argument, Jesus' argument is, that it is actually more rest to chew on the Sabbath day than it is to force yourself to starve on the Sabbath day. That it is actually more restful for the disciples to do what God has put in front of them on the Sabbath day than it would for them to act as a bunch of aesthetics and deny themselves and aren't we super spiritual because we don't eat all Sabbath day. And that's what the Pharisees were doing. The Pharisees are big on a term that's only been recently uh, identified, but I really like using this term. They're big on virtue signaling and judging others that don't fit their signal. Um, they, They like to walk around and go, he's working on the Sabbath day, she's working on the Sabbath day. His pants are too long. His hair is too short. She's ugly. He's going through, they want to go through and analyze everything. Now, I threw that out there, and you all went, what are you talking about? They actually believed that if somebody was born with some kind of deformity, it was because their parents were out of obedience with the law. They asked that question of Jesus in the book of John. The disciples actually asked Jesus, they say, this, this man, was he born blind because of his own sin or because of his parents' sin? They, they believe that this is what happens. And so if you have a child with a disability, you obviously are out of conformity with the law. This is how they operate. Jesus has zero patience for these kind of people. He's not interested in them. Now, now let, me, let me explain. Jesus' teachings, his interpretation of the Bible, comes from the Pharisaical inter- tradition. In most things, he agrees with the Pharisees in doctrine but disagrees with them in application. He agrees with them that the the Sabbath is sacred. He disagrees that that means that the Sabbath means that you have to be uh, ascetic, you have to deny yourself, you have to gain God's favor by observing the Sabbath day in every way. And these are the guys who invented loopholes. They, They literally did. They figured out how far you were allowed to walk on the Sabbath day, And then they they formulated that that was walking from your house. Some of you have heard this before. And so then they said, well, what, what constitutes a house? And they said, well, a house is anywhere that you have something. And they said, well, so therefore, anytime I I have something of mine, that's my house. And so they proceeded to walk on the Sabbath day carrying handkerchiefs. And when they would walk a certain distance from their house, they would take a handkerchief out and drop it. And then they could keep walking. Because now they were walking from their house. They, I'm not making this up. It's in the Talmud. Um, they, they, they loved loopholes because their mindset about obeying God was, here's a set of rules, let's make sure we understand exactly what the rules are, and that way, if we just, if we, we nuance everything, we can persuade God that we're good and we're deserving of grace. And Jesus goes, hey, I hate to break it to you, but the book of Numbers makes your theory explode. Because the priests could offer sacrifices, and they could do work and be guiltless. And these guys are my disciples, 
Oh, and by the way, someone who is greater than the temple is here. So they're serving somebody better. Now, I want you to be very clear on this. And, and Eric loves when I say this stuff. But people say that the Gospels, the Gospel writers did not believe Jesus was God. This statement right here, when, Jesus, when he says in verse 8 of Matthew, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath, he is claiming to be the one who created the Sabbath. He is claiming to be the God of the Old Testament. The Gospel writers unequivocally believed that Jesus was the God of the Old Testament. He was incarnate, he was the Son, but he was God. Not another God, he was God. And, and that's difficult for us to understand. For 2,000 years, we've been trying to figure out how that works. But they believed it. When Jesus says this, and all three gospel writers include this statement, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath, what he's saying is, if I take my disciples into a field and they get hungry and I don't tell them not to grind that grain and stick it in their mouths, they are doing my will. They're doing my work, just like the priests offering the sacrifice. And Sabbath was created for man, man was not created for the Sabbath. And I should know, because I was there when I created it. So what's the point? Well, let me just give you a little bit of why Matthew tells it the way he tells it. I've given you a bunch of internal stuff. I just want to let you know why it comes out like this. In Mark and Luke... If, either, if any of you are looking still in that passage, you will see that the thing that happens right before, if you want a nice, a nice interpretational uh, term, the previous pericope, which is a word that I don't even understand how it's pronounced the way that it is. Um, but the, the previous passage is Jesus talking about fasting. It's his, his new wine skin, old, new wine, old wineskins illustration that gets misused in church growth literature, and um, and he, but in Matthew, something very different. You know what happens in Matthew before this? Jesus says, "Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest." Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, Matthew takes this story, he puts it right next to that. So we can understand that to be in Christ's presence is to know rest. And if I get hungry in the presence of God, if I get hungry because I, I've, I've been walking all day and God provides a grain field, Jesus provides a grain field before me, it's not a sin even on the Sabbath day for me to take some of that grain and rub it and put it in my mouth to make it through to the end of the day. Now this is not permission for us to sin. It is permission for us to dwell in the presence of of Christ. And in the presence of Christ, doing the work of Christ, some of the most restful things that we can do are things that the rest of the world says are work. 
think about <clears throat> a simple difference, a simple theological difference amongst all the spectrum of churches in the world on what you do when you come together to worship. For most of the mainline denominations of Christianity, when you come together to worship, you are coming together to gain favor, to uh, partake of the sacraments. And the sacraments are not called sacraments because they are holy, sacred, but rather they are called sacraments because they make you holy in their theology. And they say you come to church and you take the sacraments and you do confession or you do good works or you do whatever because your purpose is in acquiring God's favor. You must work to gain God's favor. And for the Pharisees, that was you must abide by the Sabbath rule. You must follow our rules and our guidelines in order to gain God's favor. And Jesus says, in me there is rest. So the work you do you do because I provide something for you to do. I give to you. I care for you. I guide you. I lead you. Now, I actually think, and I could be wrong, that Jesus probably came to a fork in the road. And one of the fork in the road went straight in down the road and there was no grain field anywhere and nobody was going to get in trouble for violating the Sabbath. And the other turn went through a grain field. And Jesus intentionally went through the grain field because he knew his disciples were hungry. Rest is not about whether you're working or not. It's about whether you are in Christ or not. It's about how, what is our attitude toward the Sabbath? What is our attitude toward rest? What is our attitude toward what God has called us to do? Because can I be honest? If you are trying to constantly acquire God's favor through observing all of the various assorted things that get God on your side, and every group is different. Every denomination's got a different category of things that earn God's favor. If you're trying to be a super Christian, that is a lot harder work. It is a lot harder work to try to follow every single little nitpicky rule of the Sabbath than it is to rest in Christ and allow him to provide, allow him to guide, allow him to empower and to serve, to walk, to journey, for, to take up his yoke and still find rest. And I don't even have time for this. I may have to do something during the week, post something. Because think about the juxtaposition of what Jesus says in that preceding passage when he says, come to me and I will give you rest by putting you in a yoke and putting you to work. Think about the, the, the situation that Jesus puts, puts them in in that case. He's actually saying, come to me and rest to rest so you can work. He's not saying, come to me and rest and everything will be great. Um, it, it's often argued that, that one of the early church fathers believed that when we die and we go to heaven, we become a sphere. Because a sphere is perfect. And needs nothing added to it. I do not believe that's true. I'm working on not being a sphere. But what, what I do believe is that Christ is working in us. And that we do not need to obtain perfection. Our rest can be imperfect as his provision is sufficient. 
Would you join me in prayer? Father, give us rest. We have come to you, Jesus, our Savior and Lord. We have decreed or declared our faith in you. We have united in remembering you, being your church. Father, you have given us rest and you have put us to work in what you provide for us. Lord, help us to find our rest in you. Not to seek peace that we measure and scale and say it's good enough, but to find your peace. To walk where you take us, to receive what you give us, to do what you call us to do, knowing that though it is hard work, it is work, it is so much less to work in grace than it is to work for grace. May we honor and glorify your name. May we praise you in all we say and do. We pray this through your Holy Spirit, to you, our Father, through Jesus Christ, our Savior, Lord, and Master. Amen. Remember to love one another and do what is pleasing to him. Confessing his name, for Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And grace be with you all. And may the great shepherd of the sheep equip you with all things for doing his will. And grace be with you all. And grace be with you all. Go in peace, my brothers and sisters.